We're going to continue in our series. We've been calling this series, How God Makes Bad Men Good, the Book of Romans. And so if you brought your Bibles with you, if you'd open to Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 18 all the way through 32 this morning, a sermon I'm calling The Wrath of God. Um, To all the parents in the room, you're probably going to appreciate this illustration that I'm about to share with you. But there's a situation that happens often in our house, and for some reason it's usually with our boys. Sorry, guys, here it comes. Um, But often I'll walk into their room, and I look to the left, and there's this little trash can. And this trash can is full of trash. And I'll say, hey, guys, all nice and sweet, just like that. Hey, guys, empty the trash can. And then the next day, I walk into the same room and see the same trash can with the same amount of trash. Maybe just a little more. Now it's kind of overflowing on the floor. And I say, hey, guys, didn't I tell you yesterday to empty this trash? And then the third day, I walk into the room, the same trash can with the same trash. And now there's tons flowing on the floor. I go, hey, guys, I told you to empty the trash. Do it now or else. Then comes day four. I walk into the room, and it's still there. Same trash. And it begins with a twitching in my eye. <laughs> and, and then like a, a volcano blowing, beginning in my stomach. And then, boom, my head explodes off my shoulders. Well, what happened? My children have just experienced the wrath of dad, right? It, it wasn't so much that they were, um, th- 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 what they were doing that caused my head to explode off my shoulders is that they were ignoring the instructions from their father, they thought that doing whatever they wanted to do was such a big deal, but yet what God, God, sorry, that was a typo, uh, what dad was saying to do was not all that important, and that caused dad's head to explode off his shoulder. What is of infinitely greater importance, and we're going to see how it's, it acts very differently, is the wrath of God. Okay? The wrath of God is the subject that we're going to cover today as we're studying the first chapter of the book of Romans. The wrath of God is a subject that the vast majority of the world dismiss as a mere myth. The vast majority of the world, they have conjured up a God in their own mind. And the subject of the wrath of the real God, since it doesn't jive with the God that they've created in their mind, what they do is they dismiss the real God. Rather than to dismiss the the pretend God that doesn't jive with the wrath of God, they dismiss the real God. You see, most people get very offended if you put the word wrath and God in the same sentence. In fact, many Christians, they feel like they have to apologize for this attribute that in their mind seems to somehow change this this otherwise perfect temperament of God. At least that's what they think. They like to backpedal on, on this subject. They don't like to talk about this truth. There was a man by the name of Bertrand Russell. He wrote a book many, many years ago that was called Why I'm Not a Christian. And in the book, he said this. There is one, thing, one very serious defect in my mind in Christ's moral character. Time out. Defect in Christ's moral character? But he's not a believer, so there's a defect in my mind in Christ's moral character. And that is that he believed in hell. I do not myself feel that any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. Jesus Christ, certainly as depicted in the gospel, did believe in everlasting punishment, end quote. Well, I want you to know if you and Mr. Russell, if you're on the same page as, as far as your, your, your thinking of, of, in, of, of hell goes and, and the wrath of God, well, then it's safe to say you're not going to appreciate this message. 
okay? And if that's you, don't get mad at me. I didn't write this book, okay? God wrote this book. And so if you have a problem with what we're going to cover today, you need to take it up with God. Um, let's pretend you're a doctor. I think Dr. Moss loves these. I'm always using these doctor illustrations, but, but here we go. I love them. But let's say you're a doctor, and you don't like to give your patients bad news. You only like to give your patients good news. And so you meet with the CEO of the hospital and say, you know what? I just don't like to give her, deliver bad news. I only want to give, her, give good news. So question, good doctor or bad doctor? We would say bad doctor, right? Because if the diagnosis is cancer, I need to know it's cancer. And then I need to know what we're going to do to battle the cancer. Well, guess what? The diagnosis has come back. And it's sin. And if you don't rectify that diagnosis, soon the, 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 the diagnosis is going to be the very wrath of God eternally in hell. So Paul is about to tell us about the wrath of God. But I want to remind us that Paul did not begin this book with the wrath of God. In fact, he began this book with the gospel. He began this book with the good news. Paul started this letter to the church of Rome and he said, hey, Good news. But in order to understand the good news, you really have to understand the bad news. Because the bad news, it makes the good news the greatest news you will ever hear in your entire life. In fact, the bad news makes the good news awesome news. You ever heard somebody say that, hey, men and women are basically good at heart? I think the Apostle Paul would greatly disagree with that. Let's read exactly how the Apostle Paul puts it, beginning in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts that were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurities, to dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree. And those who practice such things deserve to die. 
They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. I don't know about you, but I feel like going home, just crawling up in a ball in the fetal position, just, let's just have a good cry. Anybody else feel like that? Based off this scripture that we just read, I want to really answer three questions concerning, the God, concerning God's wrath. And that one, what is God's wrath? Two, why is God's wrath required? And three, how is God's wrath revealed? It was February 1st, 2003. The spaceship Columbia blew up in reentry into Earth's atmosphere. There were seven crew members that lost their lives in that heartbreaking tragedy. NASA investigators later concluded that the source of the problem occurred during takeoff when a piece of um, flyaway foam from the, from the fuel tank hit the underbelly of the left wing and damaged it just enough that the spacecraft could not withstand Earth's temperatures when it, when it came into reentry. For the next 15 days and 22 hours, there were seven crew members on that ship. They didn't know that they were doomed. See, everything seemed to be going just so smoothly, but they couldn't see the damage under the wing. And though they didn't know, NASA knew. You see, the NASA engineers, they debated about the extent of the damage. In fact, a flight director sent an email to the crew, and the email said this, quote, no need for concern from the flyaway foam. Everything is fine. You see, NASA, NASA was the, was the voices of expertise. NASA was the voice of reason that told the crewmates, hey, there's nothing wrong. There's no reason for concern. You see, even though the, the crew members, they didn't know it, there was no hope of, hope of escape. You know, if they did know it, there's nothing they could do. They didn't have the tools. They didn't have the expertise. They didn't, they didn't have the ability to get out of the spacecraft and repair the damage. You see, what they needed was they needed to be rescued. I'm sharing this story because this is the condition of all of mankind. We are no different than those, those members of that spacecraft that are, that are do, doomed due to our willful sin. Our sin has brought enmity between us and God, and there is nothing we can do about it. We need to be rescued because our sin has brought, has separated us from God. Look in verse 18 again. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I want you to know there's, there's two words in the New Testament that, that is sometimes used for the word wrath. And one of them is a red hot anger, front flying off the handle, fit of rage type wrath. It's kind of like gasoline and a matches, boom, and everything explodes. That's, that's not the word the apostle Paul uses here. Here he uses the word orge. And orge, it literally means to grow ripe. Okay, orge is something that builds over a long, long period of time. Kind of like how water collects behind a dam. It builds and it builds and it builds over a long period of time, and it's very controlled. So God is not a God that loses his temper. God does not fly off the handle in a fit of rage or doesn't lash out. God controls his response, and he waits and he waits and he waits. God is so very patient. Paul's going to talk about this in the next chapter. He's going to say, but because of your hard and impotent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the, the day of wrath when, when God's righteous judgment were revealed. 
So you get the picture, what Paul's trying to do here? He's talking about this wrath of God building like the water behind a dam that can hold tons and tons, metric tons, so many tons, I can't even calculate it. But there will come a day when the dam finally breaks and then bad things are going to happen. I want to back up just a hair. I want to look at the very first part of verse 17 and the very first part of verse 18 together. It says... For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Jump to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Can you see how it is revealed? It is said that the righteousness of God is revealed and also the wrath of God is revealed. So what this tells us is that God is never neutral when it comes to evil. So many people want to say, well, you know, why does God allow evil? God is not neutral when it comes to evil. God's not up in heaven going, well, you know, that guy, he just murdered 20 people, but, you know, he'll do better tomorrow. That's not what God is saying because God is never neutral towards evil. I remember back before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, I remember very clearly looking up at the sky and praying and asking God, hey God, will you, will you write something in lightning? Will you let a, a flash of lightning race across the sky so that I know that you are real? The time that I prayed that, you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. But the very fact that there is lightning, that tells me there's a God. And the very fact that there's a beautiful sunrise and there's a beautiful sunset, the fact that the moon hangs in the, in the sky and it reflects the very light of the sun, you know what that tells me? It tells me there's a God. And that lets me know that I am accountable to that God. What Paul is doing here, Paul is acting like a prosecuting attorney. He is assembling all the accusation. He is marshalling all the evidence. And Paul is securing a sentence. And the sentence is guilty. We are all guilty before God. You may think, why, does God, why is Paul doing that? Why is Paul going through all of this trouble? It's because Paul knows his audience. He knows that the Roman people are going to try to explain away God, that the, the Roman people are going to say, you know, we're not accountable to God because we didn't know that he existed. Paul's proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that they knew if, if you don't know who the, the name of Helen Keller, let me tell you, Helen Keller was a, a gal that was born in the 19th century, and she was born blind, deaf, and mute. And she really had zero ability to communicate with the outside world whatsoever. And finally, there was this woman by the name of Ann Sullivan. Ann Sullivan took it upon herself to meet with, with Helen Keller, and through months and months of arduous teaching, and eventually got her to be able to communicate and Anne explain about God and creation. It was written sometime later that Helen Keller was asked about God and she said, quote, I always knew he existed. How about you? That's profound to me. That if a woman that's born blind, deaf, and mute, if she knows that God exists, then we're without excuse. But I want to answer the question, why is God's real, God's, God's wrath required? Why is God so mad? Why would he have wrath in the first place? Why would God be so angry? What is his wrath directed at? Look at verse 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be, what can be known about God is plain to them 
because God has shown it to them. Um, when, when I, the reason God is so upset is because we have suppressed the truth. We have pushed down the truth about God that is so clearly plain to all of us because if Helen Keller can know, we all can know. Growing up as a, as a kid, uh, we lived in the desert part of California, and it was hot in the summertime. Terribly hot. So I basically lived in our pool all summer long. And we would have, we had all sorts of pool toys. And I remember I had a, a big beach ball. And back then I could get on that beach ball and ride it like a horse until eventually I flopped over. It was a ton, ton of fun. Well, today I can't really get on that beach ball anymore for obvious reasons. Um, but what I can do, why'd you giggle? That's not funny. But anyway, it, <laughs> But what I can do is I can take that same beach ball and I could push it under the water. And I could push, because I'm big enough, I am strong enough, I'm definitely heavy enough, where I can hold that ball down. And that ball, it will try to come up, but I'm strong enough, I can hold it down. You see, the ball resists against my weight. It wants to come up, but I can keep it from resurfacing. That's how mankind is with God's truth. We push it down. It tries to come up, but we keep pushing it back down. We unhold, withhold the, the truth of God with our unrighteous lives. Because God puts his stamp on us when he created us. And he, he put his workmanship all around us. So what we can do is we can look inward in a sense. And we, we have a conscience and we know that God exists. And we can look outward and we can see that there's a testimony of God all of around us. Have you ever heard someone try to explain away God? Somebody will say, hey, everything that ever existed, well, it, at one time it consisted in something the size of a golf ball. And so there, this was every, all matter, it's the size of a golf ball, and then magically it exploded one day, and then the universe began as we know it. So I have two questions to that. Question number one, where'd the golf ball come from? And question number two, what caused it to explode? And then if you're talking to somebody, then they start using big words and mental gymnastics, and you're sitting there like, what are you talking about? You see, it's not that they don't have enough information. They, they are suppressing the information they have that is plainly given to them in the universe. See, it's not a matter that they cannot believe. The matter is that they refuse to believe. Pastor R.C. Sproles, he called this the psychology of atheism. Sproul said this, quote, Unbelief is generated not so much by intellectual causes, but as by moral, psychological ones. The problem is not that there is insufficient evidence to convince rational beings that there is a God, but that the rational beings must have a, must have a natural empathy to the being of God. In a word, the nature of God, or at least the Christian God, is repugnant to man. And does not focus of desire or wish projection. Man's desire is not that God exists, but that he does not exist. So the question is, why do people work so hard to suppress the truth? And the answer is because if there is no God, then we are not accountable to him. And if we're not accountable to God, then we can just live our life however we please. You know, for, for those people that do that, it's easier, at least in the present, to try to explain away God than to give our life to him. You ever wonder why students who were raised in a church and every Sunday they're at church, they grew up going to the church all the time, when they go away to college, all of a sudden they become atheists? You see, the truth is, they want to live a certain lifestyle. 
And so it's easier for them to just explain away God and say God doesn't exist so they can go on and live the life that they want to. It's, it's at least more palatable to say there is no God than to miss out on the party and all the fun. But why is God's wrath required? Because people suppress God's truth. We ignore God's revelation to us. Look in verse 20 again. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. My wife and I, we have a friend, and, and uh, her dad is one of these guys is like brilliant. He's one of those guys that he's so smart, you feel stupid just standing next to him. Well, you know, he, he like ponders string theory for fun. Well, one day he's out and he's for a walk and somehow he tripped and he fell. And he hit the ground and he looked up and inches away from his face was a tarantula. Now, I would run in fear, but the first thing he thought of was, there must be a God. The only guy I know in the history of time that was witnessed to by a spider, but there it is. You see, he knew there is, there is a God, and so he knows he's accountable to him. Keep reading, look in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and foolish hearts were darkened. Claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, Paul is saying God is invisible to us, but yet he reveals himself through what he has done. He reveals himself through creation. So God made the universe, and we're sitting here on this planet. If you don't know this, it's very unique about earth, or at least very rare, that we can actually look out. And we can see stars and comets and moons and planets, and we can see it all. And so the only conclusion we can come to is there must be a God. You see, this is an argument from design. In other words, creation is the visible disclosure of the invisible God. Just like you can look at a painting and say there must be an artist, because that painting did not create itself. That's the argument of design. Just like we can look at this building we're in now. We know there must be an architect. There had to be workers. Something constructed this building because it did not create itself. We call this general revelation. It's the revelation that has come to everybody. Everybody gets this revelation. King David would agree with the idea of general revelation because David wrote in Psalms chapter 19 verse 1, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, we all know that God exists because we can see what he made. He speaks to us through his creation. Just like the artist speaks through his painting, God speaks through creation. In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul said it this way. Look in verse 17. He says, yet he, that he is God, yet God did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Paul is saying that God has given you a witness. Every time that you have food on your plate, if you eat vegetables or meat, you should thank God. 
Because if, if God didn't send the rain, that would be impossible. You'd go hungry without God. Look in verse 19 again. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, what Paul is saying, God is as plain as the nose on your face. In verse 20, he says, they are without excuse. Have you ever heard somebody ask about, well, what about the man in the middle of the Brazilian rainforest? He's surely not held accountable to, right? Paul would say, no. He's accountable to you, too, because, or to God, because he knows. He can look at the birds and the trees, and he knows there's a God. Ladies, consider for a moment you're out shopping, and you go to your favorite dress shop, whatever it might be, and you walk in, and there on the mannequin, ah, there's the dress. That's the one. It's cut just right, and, and you look at the tag, and it just happens to be in your size. And for my wife's sake, it has pockets. I know she'd want pockets. Yeah, and the beading is just right, and, it, and it, the color, it's definitely in your color will, and it's perfect. And the, the, and the saleswoman, she comes out and says, oh, isn't that a beautiful dress? And you go, yeah, that's a beautiful dress. And then she says, can you believe that dress evolved over the course of millions of years? And that we have this dress we have here. We'll sell it to you for $5,000. Get out of my face with that nonsense. That's impossible. There was clearly a maker of that dress, right? When Tillman was younger, he, he loved playing with Legos. I loved playing with Legos. All of my Legos was in a big yellow bucket. And that I would dump out my Legos and I would go to building, I'd build something. What if I had all the Legos to make the Millennium Falcon? You know, thousands of pieces. And what if I dumped all those pieces in the bucket and then I've got a machine that will turn that bucket and turn that bucket for billions of years? How long does that bucket have to turn till all the Legos just magically fall and I have a working Millennium Falcon? How long? You're shaking your head. It's never going to happen, right? But that's the evolutionary theory. That the idea that all the basic building blocks, they just happen to be in that bucket and they magically turned and turned and turned and then presto changeo, nothing became everything. That magically we had a cell and then that cell presto changeo evolved into complex organisms over the course of millions of years. That's insanity. If you believe that, I have some oceanfront property in Riverton I want to sell you. The idea, the complexity of the life it formed over millions of years accidentally, that's craziness. Paul would say that's not plain because what is plain to them is natural revelation. Natural revelation is a masterpiece like you, like God's creation. What that tells us is that there is a master artist and that is God. There was a theory that was around for a long time and it was, it's called steady state theory. This is the theory that everything existed and then there was, came some point in time where everything stopped and nothing happened for like hundreds of billions of years and then it picked back up and, and then it continued on. Well, we now know that steady state theory is scientifically, I'll say, a bunch of bull, okay? We know it's a bunch of bull because, for example, we have a sun and our sun gets off light and it gives off heat. It's able to do this because it's giving off its own mass, okay? Every second, there's tons and tons of molecules that are exploding, and it's, it's called nuclear fusion. It is where hydrogen is exploding to give off light and heat. You see, so the sun is literally giving off its own mass, and there will come a day where the sun will go out, 
And then, then it will reach steady state when the sun is dead. But, but what that tells us is that steady state is a bunch of hooey, if you will. And people do come up with theories like that because they're trying to buy more time. If we can only buy more time, then in theory, anything is possible. Why do we want to do that? Because we're trying to explain away God. There was a survey that was published in August of last year, 2021, and it was uh, published by the University of Michigan. This survey was taken over the course of 35 years. So this survey actually began 36 years ago. And in this survey, it, it stated that twice as many Americans hold college degrees in 2018 as they did in, two, in 1998. 20 years, okay? But then it goes on to state that from 1985 until 2007, America was a, it's essentially split 50-50 on evolution versus creation. But by 2019, the, the percentage of Americans actually tipped 54% believe in evolution. So what that tells us is the majority of Americans would hold to evolution as the meaning of life. And people think college makes you smarter. I don't think so. Just so you know where I'm going with this, I'm not talking about Rome 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about America right now. 54% of Americans would deny a creator and they would say that everything happened by random chance. And yet the Bible would say for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. God's wrath is coming. It's coming against all those that suppress God's truth and ignore God's revelation. Why? The answer? Because we're perverting the glory of God. Because God, the real God, the one and only God, he's a God of glory. And the God of glory does not share his glory with anyone. And he doesn't take kindly when his glory is stolen. Pick it up, look in verse 23. For and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore... God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurities, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you hear how this works? They want to worship everything other than God. They want to worship the trees and the birds and the grass and the whales and the dolphins, anything. They want to worship everything other than God. And when that happens, you know what's going to happen? I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. God says, hey, you don't want to worship me? You want to worship the birds and the squirrels and the moons and the stars? You don't want to worship me? Then I'm going to give you exactly what you want. I'm going to let you worship all those things. You don't want to worship me? Fine. I'll give you up to yourselves. And that is the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not some cosmic whooping from our Heavenly Father. The wrath of God is when God just lets us go. That's why Paul just said, he said, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurities, to dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Well, then what will happen? Paul tells us, look in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonoring passions. 
For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. What Paul is doing here, he's taking this down this downward spiral of human morality. This has been called the theory of devolution. I do not believe in the theory of evolution, but I do believe in the theory of evolution because we are not evolving. We are devolving before our very eyes. Evolution, it teaches that we started in imperfection and we are slowly getting better and better and better with every single generation. We're evolving towards perfection, but devolution, that teaches that we are created in perfection and we are slowly moving more and more imperfect every day. Question, church, which theory do you see more closely match the society we have today? The Bible does not teach that we started low and we're climbing higher. No, the Bible teaches that men and women were made in perfection and we're slowly sinking lower and lower and lower with every generation. This is what I want you to know. Idolatry, it leads to immorality. Because we were made to worship God. We were made to love him and know him and serve him. And yet when we choose to worship someone or something over God, he'll allow it. He doesn't approve of it, but he allows it. And then it's a quick descent into into dark immorality where men leave their natural desires for, for women and they go to men and where women leave their natural desires for men and go after other women. And soon after this happens... A society's gone. Why? It's because a bad stance on theology will produce a bad stance on sexuality. If you hold the wrong views about God, you will soon hold the wrong views about humanity. If you have the wrong views about the origins of life, you'll have the wrong views about sex, and it goes on and on and on. Paul is painting a picture of this dowered slope of the human condition that that God is in heaven and he's revealed himself to us through our conscience we have, through creation, and yet we choose creation over him. And then what he does, he just turns us loose because the truth has been suppressed. Mankind suppresses the truth about God so we can go on living our sinful lives rather than worshiping God. And when he lets us go, that is the wrath of God. So the question somebody will ask, they'll say, well, what do we need to do? We need to change our laws. That's what somebody will say. Someone will say, well, we need to, to get involved, change our school system. They'll say we need to do this, that, and the other thing. If anybody suggests any of that, I will have a full-blown come apart. Somebody's going to say, well, we need to pray. You know, we do need to pray. But the point of prayer is to lead us to a point of action. So many think that prayer is just where I scream my my desires at God and he has to respond. No. That's like the child at the store that's telling their mom or dad, I want this and keeps screaming and keeps yelling until their parents give in. Prayer is where we communicate with God and should lead us into a point of action where we do something about what we're praying for. You know, isn't, isn't that what we see happening with the Apostle Paul's life? He came to know, he had a... He, 
God met him on the road to Damascus. He was knocked to the ground, and he said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And the second question out of Paul's, Paul's mouth was, What do you want me to do? Right? I'm reading a book called The Mission of God's People by Christopher Wright. It's a big book. I recommend the audio book. It's, it's a tough read. But in this book, he uses an illustration. And he says, if you come home to a dark house, why would that make you angry? If coming home to a dark house makes you angry, then turn on the lights. This is what Jesus said about that. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives off light to, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. If you don't like the way the world is going, be the light. There was a survey taken in 2007 that reported 51% of Americans claimed to be Protestant while 24% claimed to be Catholic. That same year, 12% of Americans reported no religious affiliation whatsoever. Fast forward 11 years, 2018, 43% of Americans claim to be Protestant. That's a decrease of 11%. And 20% claim to be Catholic. That's a decrease of 4%. That same year, 17%, that's an increase of 5%, claimed no religious affiliation. The question is asked, why does it seem so dark? The answer is because it is. Then what's the answer? The answer is turn the lights on. If you don't like the way things are going, go be the light. Tell somebody about a great God that died for our sins and then rose again on the third day to give them everlasting life. Go tell somebody. Quit just sitting in a dark room complaining about how dark it is. Go tell a lost person about Jesus. You see, when God gives a society or a person everything they want, that's really an act of judgment. See, what's happened is God's pulling the restraints off. God has removed the restrictor plate from life, right? He's abandoning us to our own desires. I want to read verse 24, 26, and 28 in rapid succession. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurities, to dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonoring passion. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind in order to, uh, to do what ought not to be done. Can you read that? How God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. That should be terrifying. You see, the judgment is not God's intervention. God's judgment, it is lack of intervention. It's God stepping back and saying, fine, have it your way. Do what you want. And that, church is the wrath of God. You know, today there's a tragic trend. It's been getting worse and worse and worse. And it's happening in our school system. All the teachers will amen this one. But it, it goes like this. Little Johnny is failing every one of his classes and hasn't been to school but one day in a semester and hasn't turned in a, a, an assignment all, all semester. And the parents go, well, what are you going to do about it, teacher? This is your fault. You see, they're doing that because parents aren't parenting the kids anymore. Parents aren't disciplining their children. 
That's kind of what God's doing, but he's doing that to those who are not his children. He's saying, you don't want me? Fine. Live life without me and see how that goes. And I think we can all agree that it's getting really, really bad without God's hand over us. And I say this because there's so often, there's so many that says, so many say, well, if, if America's in shape, well, if America doesn't turn it around, God's going to judge us. But I read Romans chapter 1, I think, you know what? He is judging us. This is it. We are experiencing the wrath of God right now in our country. Now what this tells us, it's going to get worse and worse and worse until it climaxes in the great tribulation. There's going to be the spiritual and moral degradation we're going to see all around us. And it is a judicial act on God. It is the very wrath of God. Every single generation says, you know, it wasn't this bad when I was a kid. You said it in the 70s, 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. We're saying it right now, right? Every decade is worse than the one before. I was recently talking to a church member, and he said, man, it seems like it got a lot worse real quick, doesn't it? I think he's right. Why? Remember the scales? There's now more, there's a greater percentage of the majority of Americans don't believe in God. The scales have tipped, and God says, let's see how life goes without me. And as a result, we now see grown men that claim to be little girls. And a society says, well, who are we to say she isn't right? Really? There's some that want to sit and say, well, who's to blame? You know, we always have to point a finger. We got to know who to point the blame at. Whose fault is it? I'll tell you whose fault is. It's your fault. It's my fault. It's the church's fault. The church has turned inward, and the church has become what's best for me and what I like and what I want rather than what God wants. The church has lost focus on what we want rather than what God wants, and we have forgotten about the kingdom of God. This is what God wants. God wants us to reach out, and he wants us to tell the good news of the gospel. He wants us to go, to leave here, and to tell someone. He wants us to have relationships with non-believers. Why? With the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. What does that look like? Looks like opening your mouth and saying, you and I, we are sinners. And our sin separates us from God. But yet God loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. He was buried in a tomb. He rose again on the third day. And whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. That's the message. You've never done that. I'm going to ask you to do that now. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're here with us. And you've never cried out to Jesus to save you. For most, it's, it's a prayer. It's, there has to be this moment of acknowledgement where you recognize that you're not right with God. And you cry out for forgiveness. He will forgive you. Say, dear God. I'm a sinner. Save me from my sin. I give you my life. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.